like when you talked about learning that ADHD was a thing and maybe you had it and maybe there was something that could be done about it, it felt like there might be a light at the end of the tunnel. I never realized nor acknowledged until that point that I was walking around all those years with the understanding that my life was completely doomed. I didn't even realize that until I got that hope. ADHD Rewired, episode 305. This is the podcast for those of us with really good intentions and a slightly wandering attention. I'm Eric Tivers. I'm a licensed clinical social worker by training and a coach by design. I'm your host and I have ADHD. ADHD Rewired is more than just a podcast. We are a community. We are wired for connection and you are not alone. Go to ADHDrewired.com to learn how you can join us in our free secret Facebook group. Get additional resources for every episode, including links to any resources we mentioned on today's show. You can support us on Patreon, sign up for our email newsletter, you can request podcast postcards to distribute to your clients and support groups, and you can learn all about our intensive online video-based coaching and accountability groups. You can do all of this at our website, ADHDrewired.com. We know that starting is the hardest part, so let's get started. Welcome back to another episode of ADHD Rewired. Today's guest is Roxanne Jarrett. Roxanne is a singer and coach who performs in five languages and provides a one-on-one intensive services to help creatives with ADHD finish their dream projects. As an arts educator, she facilitates workshops and on various subjects, including acting, videography, writing, Shakespearean language, and authentic relating. Roxanne is living proof of the healing power of creativity. She practiced multiple art disciplines to recover from PTSD and no longer meets the criteria for that diagnosis. Her gusty street performances of It's a Man's World became a rallying cry after the 2016 election, and she served as arts organizer for the Women's March on Washington. Roxanne, so good to have you on the podcast. It was wonderful meeting you at the Chad conference, uh, at the talent show. You, um, I, at first I actually thought you were lip singing because I'm like, there's no way she's that good. What? <laughs> wow. Thank yeah, you. No, you, you man, you, you stole the show. Oh, wow. You were awesome, too. You were a great songwriter. And um, I was really happy to see you perform and meet you, too. Well, thank you. It was a pleasure. uh, It was mine as well. So let's let's dive in. So you have a... uh, um, you know, we all have a story and, uh, your, your story has lots of, lots of layers and twists and turns and, uh, and some, some rough spots, uh, too. Um, and I think like a lot of us, uh, who are doing healing work, uh, we've learned to sort of make our, our mess, our message. Um, so share with us a little bit about, um, sort of how you came to be doing what you're doing. Um, and maybe start with how things were for you growing up. Oh, okay. Well, growing up, I, I have ADHD and I've, I only uh, was diagnosed in 2010. So that was 15 years after I finished grad school and just a few months before my six-year-old daughter was diagnosed. So I, growing up, would hear from my teachers over and over again, you can do better. 
you can do better. And it's really great to be in an ADHD community now because it really does resonate with other people. And I've met so many other people who have heard a similar message. Uh, so I was told uh, that I was brilliant by certain people in my family, my teachers, but there was always this thing that I just could, I wasn't living up to my potential apparently. So I felt a lot like a loser <laughs> when I was growing up. And it wasn't until I was nine years old when I, I switched to another school. And um, I actually I fell into a deep depression when I was eight. I was promoted. I went to fourth grade for two weeks and I was promoted to fifth grade. So I went to wow. fifth grade when I was eight years old and I fell into a deep depression. I didn't adjust. And my mother saw that something was wrong, but I don't think many of us understood depression at that time either. So she took me to my doctor and my doctor said, don't keep her in an unhappy situation for more than six months. So at the end of the school year, they moved me, my parents moved me to a different school. And it was a very small private school. And I turned nine sometime during the beginning of sixth grade. Wow. And yeah, wow. I, was, I, turned, I turned nine like the end of November, wow. right? So I thought of myself as pretty unremarkable in every way. <laughs> and one day, this small group was singing. Uh, to perform for a musical production. And the teacher was at the piano, the music teacher, and she said, who is that? Mm. And she stepped away from the piano and she said, you know the words, everyone just keeps singing. And she just walked around and put her ear to the side and she pointed to me and she said, you, come forward. Mm. And from that, I held solos. I had solos and um, the, when, when uh, I'm, age, I'm dating myself now, <laughs> when John Lennon died, uh, we had a performance uh, to celebrate his life. And when I graduated from sixth grade, I was a soloist. And from then on, uh, singing was something that I knew that I could do. So take us there a little bit more because that, so you were a nine-year-old in sixth grade, um, feeling kind of like a fish out of water um, and feeling, you said, unremarkable. And here you are in this music class and this teacher hears this voice and it's you. Mm -hmm. What was that? What did that feel? You know, it felt like, please let it be me. <laughs> I remember when I was singing, I was thinking, please let it for one time, let it be me. That's doing something that the teacher likes and mm. <laughs> not doing something that is being frowned upon. I remember that feeling. And then just the amazing moment when it was, because I really didn't know it was. Did you have that experience of, because uh, it sounds like a really significant event in your life. It was. Um, where kind of time slows down. Mm. Yeah. Mm. Mm. So even though, uh, I mean, you're clearly a, a, a gifted kid, right? You're being promoted uh, beyond your, your age level. 
um, you still felt like you weren't you know, special. I mean, is that. Yeah. Like looking back now at that time, I was in, I was in public school and then I went to that, that time when I was singing, that was private school. And in public school, they had this thing called intellectually gifted mm-hmm. uh, program. And there's this one class of kids that are in that class, in that program. And I was in that program and still in that program, it was such a struggle. And I think the only reason that I was in the program was because I was a strong reader. That's what I think. Hmm. And, and, and being a strong reader really came from my mother. My mother bought uh, phonics and after school from pre-K, I'd have to look in the book and read and turn the page. And, and I was a strong reader before kindergarten. So I think, the strength of my reading just kind of took me into whatever they called intellectually gifted. I don't, I didn't know why I was there, you know, but so was, um, there, was there part of you that felt like, hold that, that just seems weird. Cause I don't feel that way. Uh, well, frankly, I didn't realize I was intellectually gifted until a long time after. So I, I don't think I wasn't really quite aware. So you, you feel, All I knew was my experience of, in the classroom, okay. and that was that I was not living up to my potential. Okay. So probably some imposter syndrome. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. So at 16, you were already going to college. Yes. <laughs> yeah. What was that experience like? Oh, let me tell you. So it, it was, I wanted to go away when I was 12, because I started high school when I was 12 and I was ready to leave home at 12. And what was, what was home like? Contentious. It was tense. It was never happy. Um, It was uncomfortable for me. And I just wanted, I wanted out. (laughs) And I remember the summer before high school started, I I was at camp, day camp, and I was just, whining and saying, I want to go to boarding school. And one of my counselors said, well, check out this particular school. Cause I didn't know anything. And my, my parents are immigrants. They're first generation. I'm a first generation American and my parents know a lot of stuff, but they just didn't know about the educational system. Mm-hmm. So I told my mother, mom, I want to go to boarding school. And she actually really responded to that because when she was in Jamaica and when she was around that age, she wanted to go to a private school, a private boarding school, because young ladies who went to private boarding schools came out very refined and she wanted to be refined. So I think maybe she thought that's what I wanted. She was going to live in vicarious. (laughs) (laughs) I just wanted to leave. Um, And she checked it out and she said, oh, I can't afford it. So I said, okay, I guess I got to wait four more years. So I was really happy to go away to college. Um, The thing is, though, that I did not have the structure of my family. Uh, My mother doesn't have ADHD and she was very organized. And so I quickly failed (laughs) a lot of classes and I ended up after the first year on academic probation. Mm. And so this is the thing I had to sink. I was going to, I had to swim or else I was going to sink because if I failed out of college, I would have to go back home and I I didn't want to go home and I'd been trying to get out of there for so long. So I had to become so resourceful and so creative to 
first of all, bring my grades back up and then make it to completion. Um, and boy, did, did that creativity kick in? Sure did. I mean, we, we know that with, with ADHD, we're looking at a, you know, two to three year kind of developmental uh, delay with a lot of those executive functioning skills. Mm-hmm. So, you know, you were 16 with ADHD, but not, didn't know it. Um, so you're like 12 or 13 in college and you were, Absolutely. Uh, um, you should have seen me, Eric, in my, my ankle length flannel nightgown, holding onto my teddy bear and asking the kids who are smoking weed and freebasing to keep it down because <laughs> I wanted to go to bed at 10 o'clock. Um, so, I mean, I was like, I was a little baby, you know, so many ways. Mm. Yeah, man. So were you uh, were you kind of partying at all or were you really just trying to like trying to actually do the academic work? I was trying to do the academic work. I just had no idea what to do. Mm. Like we we had this class which was kind of like English 101. It was called Revolutions in Western Thought. And the first book we had to read was the Jerusalem Bible. So my way of studying is saying, I'm going to learn everything. And so when I'm reading the part that so-and-so begat, so-and-so begat, so-and-so, I started to list everything out and say, I'm going to memorize this, you know? So I'm spending like, you know, hours on one page <laughs> while people are like, I'm done. You know, so I didn't understand how to study. I didn't understand a lot of stuff. Hmm. So uh, what happened the next year? Well, the next year I went back to, um, for sophomore year, I didn't take a class past 3 p.m. Um, or be, not, no, I didn't take a class before 3 p.m. Before 3 p.m., okay. <laughs> exactly, <laughs> exactly. Um, and I only took three classes, uh, just enough to stay on campus, 12 credits, and I just took stuff that I thought was easy. And, um, and from then on, once I declared my major, um, I just started to get super creative. Can I take this as an independent study? Can I, I, I was a drama studies major, but um, I found that I could actually complete reading a book when it was in African-American literature. Mm. So what I did after taking one class was say, go to my advisor in drama studies and say, can I turn literature of the Harlem Renaissance into an independent study if I ask the professor to assign an extra piece of work that's a play from the Harlem Renaissance and then I do an extra paper? Can it count toward my major? And then I would befriend professors before the following semester and say, I'm very interested in taking your course. Have you decided what books are going to be on the syllabus? And they would tell me. And so I would start to read the books in advance because even though I was a strong reader, I was a slow reader, which is typical of somebody with ADHD. Mm-hmm. So I would read two or three novels before the semester started. So when the semester started, ah, it was so much easier for me. It sounds like there's a lot of parallels between uh, between my college experience and yours. Now, I was not, you know, 16 when I went to college, but my freshman year, I, you know, almost failed out. Uh, and my sophomore year, when I kind of figured out my interest in doing social work, so many of my, my classes I passed because I negotiated the assignments to bend it towards my interest. Because uh, it was huge. It was he- like, because if I can bend it towards something I'm really curious and interested in, like, it doesn't feel so hard because as soon as it feels boring, 
my mind just tunes out. Yeah, and that's that's the that is the challenge and the beauty of the ADHD brain. And so, even though I wasn't diagnosed, were you diagnosed then? I got diagnosed right at the beginning of my sophomore year. Okay, um, it was sort of a a, a uh, happen chance that that I uh, I was uh, meeting with someone, uh, having dinner with someone, and she was telling me about that she had ADHD, and she was describing it to me, and it was one of those moments of like. Oh damn! That's what ADHD is. And, <laughs> yeah, and uh, and the, the reading uh, specifically was something that she was telling me about, and how she would like she would read, but then her mind wander because it got triggered by something she was reading. I'm like, I mean, that's not a normal thing. That's not supposed to happen. But <laughs> I know. Oh yeah, my gosh! Yeah. Did time slow down for you too? Like. <laughs> when you were talking about that moment when time slowed down for me, well, did time slow down for I, you? I felt when- hopeful because my soft, my, well, my second semester of my freshman year, I actually did try. Um, my, my first semester, I, I was partying. I, I mean, it was, you know, I was drinking and other stuff and, uh, you know, and made it to class sometimes. And, uh, you know, and I knew that my parents were threatening to pull me out, uh, you know, and, um, so I really tried hard my, my uh, second semester and I did worse. Oh no! <laughs> and so when I, when I heard that, uh, well, when I learned that this might be ADHD, um, I felt this glimmer of hope that like, if this is really what it is, like I might be able to actually do this. Um, oh. so, uh, and it was, I, uh, um, I was scored very high on the, uh, <laughs> Oh my uh, I remember the uh, the psychiatrist that did the evaluation. Um, so like nobody suggested that you had ADHD uh, growing up, uh, and I was like, no. I mean, I actually I did have an IEP, but it wasn't for uh, for ADHD. It was uh, it, they thought I had a learning disability, and it, I think it was just ADHD. I was just, cause I wasn't hyperactive, um, but like on the inattentive scale, I was uh, I was kind of off the charts. <laughs> oh my goodness. So, yeah. So, all right, let's do this. Let's take a quick break. And when we come back, I want to continue uh, kind of hearing your story and uh, figuring out how you made it through college and kind of what happened beyond. So we will be right back. We have set a date for the registration kickoff event for ADHD Rewired's 20th season of coaching and accountability groups. Remember, registration is by invitation only. If you are on our coaching group interest list for the upcoming season, you will receive a save the date email soon. Even if you were on our last list for our previous session, we don't want to send anyone any unwanted emails. So if you are interested in this season, then go to coachingrewired.com and click on the big green button to get on the list for an invitation to our spring coaching and accountability groups. Our registration kickoff event will be on Tuesday, February 18th at 12 p.m. Pacific, 2 p.m. Central, 3 p.m. Eastern. The spring sessions start April 8th and go through June 19th. Are you looking for a change? Don't wait. Listen to Esley, one of the members of our 18th season of coaching and accountability groups. I joined because even though I had been diagnosed 10 plus years ago, I realized I needed a change. I was kind of stuck in a rut and things were always a struggle. And I always just wondered like, 
Should it really be this hard? What am I missing? Why is this so hard? And so I realized I needed a change. I needed to learn some new strategies and really start growing in my ADHD knowledge again. I think when you first get diagnosed, you learn everything and anything you can, but then it just becomes a part of everyday life and you forget you have to keep pushing and growing. And so I think one of the things that I realized in this group, though, was how much I needed a community as well and a community of people who just understood and accepted you and wanted to support you. People who understood when you're a little all over the place that day or who understood having to work in places where they may not get you or having to deal with people who may not understand and just having people who can help support and give you feedback and new ideas and just really cheerlead. And I learned that planning things years in advance isn't something that I can't do. It's something I can do. And it's something I like thought was crazy, but it's totally possible. And I know I can do that now and so many other big things. And I'm really looking forward to my journey and especially my journey with this group. Go to coachingrewired.com. Click the big green button. Tell me who you are and then confirm your email so you get on the list to get invited to our registration events. Registration is by invitation only. So to get invited to our registration kickoff event on February 18th, go to coachingrewired.com and click on the big green button. The event starts at 12 p.m. Pacific, 2 p.m. Central, 3 p.m. Eastern. Our spring sessions start April 8th. Space is limited, so don't wait. You can learn more about the coaching groups at our website. We are your community that provides you help and support. Take the next step towards change. Your ADHD Rewired coaching group journey begins by going to coachingrewired.com. That's coachingrewired.com. If you're thinking about joining this group, make sure you're ready to make a time commitment and you can't mess around. This is kind of like a second little part-time job. You're going to get the most out of it if you can make that time commitment. You're going to learn so much. Do it. That's coachingrewired.com. Thank you to all of our patrons who help make this podcast possible with your contributions. A special welcome and thank you to Lowell H. and Caitlin S. who became patrons this week. Thank you, Lowell and Caitlin. I really appreciate your support. Consider becoming a patron today. Give a gift that makes sense to you, and we give a gift right back with perks. If you find value in these podcasts, become a patron at ADHDrewired.com slash Patreon. Check out the perk starting at just $5 a month. And remember, you can join me and a small group of other patrons every fourth Tuesday of the month for a group coaching call on Zoom if you support us at $25 a month or more. If you're listening to this podcast when it was released, our next call is today, January 28th at 1 p.m. Pacific, 4 p.m. Eastern. Whatever your reason for giving and whatever amount you can give, thank you. It really does help and it really does mean a lot to me. Become a patron at ADHDrewired.com slash Patreon. That's ADHDrewired.com slash Patreon. And thanks. 
All right, we are back with Roxanne Jarrett. So um, where we left off, we um, you were on academic probation uh, in the freshman year. And then sophomore year, tell me what happened. Well, I took it really light the first semester, sophomore year. And then the second semester, I was still just doing my core stuff and figuring things out. And I decided that I was going to go into drama studies. Uh, it held my attention. And... Uh, I I really just dove into the work there and I, it gave me the dopamine hits that I needed. And um, I continued to study African-American literature with extra work so that it would count toward drama studies credits. And I directed and I acted. And um, let me tell you, uh, I decided to write a play, write, produce, and direct, and perform in a play for my senior project. Uh, and a lot of people put their shows up in May as seniors. I put mine up in February, right, for Black History Month. And by the time the show was over, I had one class to attend for the rest of my senior year. I mean, I went to summer school I, in between. And so I graduated in four years and I had one class called Performing the Self in Society <laughs> for my for the rest from February till May. And I graduated on the dean's list. Wow. So. Yeah, I figured it out. And then I went straight to grad school after that. <laughs> and it's interesting because what I, what it sounds like you call being sort of creative in how you negotiated with your, your professors. I hear that as, um, as self advocacy and self determination. And you're viewing that as sort of creativity. And, you know, maybe that is one of the, you know, one in the same. Um, I think so. Because, you know, you got to be able to think outside the box to, fi to figure out how to get your needs met sometimes. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yep. So then you went right to grad school. Mm-hmm. And what what did you do there? Uh I got a master's in educational theater and I started out as I was hired by a theater, so I was a a director and uh, a director of a theater company, a children's theater company, while I was at NYU grad. And um I did pretty well at NYU. I think by that time I had figured out how to be a student. It took long enough. And you <laughs> still were not yet diagnosed with ADHD, right? Oh, no, absolutely not. And at that time at NYU, I worked full time for the university as a researcher. I worked all day Saturday as the director of the Children's Theater Company. I taught, taught a four hour acting class um, to eight to 12 year olds uh, every Saturday for 40 weeks, I had to write an original play for the ensemble, direct, hire set designers, uh, and all kinds of stuff. And like the real and, deal. Uh, yeah, the real deal. And I did that for a couple years as a while I was a grad student. So worked six days a week and um, started making jewelry too. So I <laughs> sold jewelry. I I did all of that. Um, how was your How was your stress levels during that time? Sometimes it. it they did go off. It did go off the charge charts. I didn't understand how to take a step back and and relax and have some downtime. I really just didn't understand the concept of that. You said it went off the charts. What did that look like? 
Well, I mean, I remember one time I had to go to a rehearsal in the village because, um, you know, NYU is in the village. And I was just coming off of teaching this class, this four hour class and going to school all week and work all week. And then I had to go to this thing and I, I was on my way. And then I just kind of broke down crying and said, something has to give. I'm exhausted. And uh, I remember I was with my aunt and my mother and they said, why don't we just drive you to the city, which was kind of not a thing. People from Queens, like in those outer boroughs, <laughs> they don't really like to drive to Manhattan. Um, so, but they decided they were going to drive me to my rehearsal because I think they just the thought of my getting on the bus and the train and traveling an hour alone when I was in tears, it didn't look too cool to them. So. Hmm. And then, um, take us through sort of your, your next phase. So you finished grad school. Yeah. So when I finished grad school, I, I fell into a deep depression after that. Hmm. Um, I got into some situations that, um, caused me to, really lose my self-esteem and I I did go to film production school after grad school but I took some time off and I just didn't know where to turn at a certain point I working was hard I was going out one day to a job and I got to the front door to open it and walk out and I I almost touched the doorknob and then I just recoiled and I said I can't do it mm. and I developed a severe anxiety and I just withdrew I just didn't work anymore and I didn't socialize anymore Was there and something specific that happened there are a few different things that happened but I think one of the biggest things was that I just wasn't focused on any one action you know i wasn't focused on on a job that was really fulfilling to me and so um i wasn't getting any dopamine hits and so i was able to really reflect or feel i think i think i was really busy and part of that was so that i didn't have to feel things and uh yeah what happened was i i I started to really experience all of the traumatic things that happened over several years before. And I just, I just shut down. You said that there were some things that uh, kind of shook your uh, self-esteem. Are you, are you comfortable sharing that? Well, there are several things that happened. The breakup of my family, which happened really suddenly. Um, when I was 17, uh, another thing that happened that I really just didn't process was that I was kidnapped when I was 15. Wow. And I'm telling you that I didn't even put the word kidnapped onto it for years. I didn't even really understand the gravity of what happened. And, um, and I don't think anybody else around me did either. I just, I just went back to school Monday morning and um, there was no, th there was no processing of it. 
there was there was nothing. So Wait, you were kidnapped. What what happened? I was kidnapped by a teacher in high school. Um, and I mean, it was it was terrifying. Um, and the thing is that about kidnapping is that. I would guess that most instances of kidnapping are nothing like people might imagine, like on television, like, hey, I have your kid and here's a ransom note. You have to pay. No, no. Kidnapping is taking a child without their parents' consent, without the child's consent. Well, even if the child gives consent, the child can't give consent because it's a child, right? Um, So... Yeah, he took me um, somewhere out of um, the city and he basically took me on a quote unquote date and threatened me and, and said, if, and if anybody knows about this, you're going to get in trouble. Oh my gosh. And, um, and I really did uh, suffer consequences and he didn't. Um, so that's that's one of the things that happened and I never got to process that. So after grad school now I'm 23 and then because I'm I'm not throwing myself into some kind of work all of these images and all of these experiences come flooding back. Suddenly you, you have some space to breathe. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. That's um you know, it's amazing what we do to sort of distract ourselves and not mm-hmm. and not deal with emotions and hard mm-hmm. situations and push it down and we push it down until, you know, it's it's, uh, you know, hard things are can be really inconvenient, but they're mm-hmm. going to, you know, when we don't process those, um, they they will percolate back up whether we want it to or not. Absolutely. You know, but I'm so glad. I'm so glad that it did. I'm so glad that they did. I'm so glad I had that opportunity at that age to, to suffer. Um, because then I could get help and discover things about healing that I didn't really know and that I could really dig myself out of, of this mental and emotional grave that I was in and and it took a long time but I don't remember the date but I remember the day and I remember where I was when I said you know what I think I think I'm good now mm-hmm. I think I know what to do if I'm ever in a position like I was when I was 25 I wrote in my journal that I'm giving myself 15 years because the way that I felt, I said, if this is what life feels like, I really don't want to live it, but I'm going to try to find out how to get better. And I'm going to give myself 15 years. And if after 15 years, I still feel like this, then I'm going to end it. Mm. And I was 38 and the, so it took about 13 years. I remember the day that I said, you know what? I really think that I know what to do anytime I feel like, like I just don't want to be here. And was this something that was on like readily, readily on your mind during this entire time? Like you're thinking about the, the sort of the clock and, um, no, absolutely no. not. <laughs> no, no, I okay. wasn't. I wasn't. Okay. Mm-mm. 
So what were some of the things that you felt kind of led to, uh, to the healing? Well, the number one thing I can point to is being hospitalized for the first time when I was 25, because that's when I discovered the art therapies. I was so fortunate to, first of all, have good insurance and be able to go to a hospital that offered drama therapy, which of course I would respond to, music therapy, which of course I would respond to, visual art therapy, which I definitely responded to. Like all my favorite stuff, like in the therapeutic (laughs) realm, like this is great. Yeah. And so, and, 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 and I didn't, I didn't try really hard at first. My first three days in the hospital, I stayed in bed. But I remember this doctor. I don't remember her name. I just kind of remember her frame. And I remember kind of what she looked like and that she had an accent. Um, And after rounds, she came to my bedside and she knelt by my bedside. And she said, you have to try, Roxanne. Um, And uh, I tried. And what did that look like? After that, it looked like hope. Like when you talked about learning that ADHD was a thing and maybe you had it and maybe there was something that could be done about it, it felt like there might be a light at the end of the tunnel. I never realized nor acknowledged until that point that I was walking around all those years with the understanding that my life was completely doomed. I didn't even realize that until I got that hope. So you feel like you, that you that was your script, but you weren't even aware that that was your script. I wasn't even aware. I only became aware once I got that glimmer of hope. Yes. Mm. Let's take a uh, a quick break, and when we come back, we'll uh, we'll continue um, helping you share your story. Well, thanks. We'll be right back. On this week's episode of Hacking Your ADHD with Will Curb, Will continues in part two to talk about making your phone more ADHD friendly. Check out Will's podcast. And while you are listening, go ahead and subscribe to these short, mindful ways to hack your ADHD. Check out Hacking Your ADHD this week and every Monday. This week, making your phone more ADHD friendly, part two. Join Will as he explores ways that you can work with your ADHD brain to do more of the things you want to do. If you haven't checked it out yet, do yourself a favor. Go subscribe to Hacking Your ADHD. That's Hacking Your ADHD. Available to everyone, everywhere you consume podcasts. And if you prefer the long-form content like ADHD Rewired, but you're looking for information to help parents or educators, check out our other podcast on the network, ADHD Essentials with Brendan Mahan. All these podcasts, ADHD Essentials, Hacking Your ADHD, and of course, the one you are listening to here are all part of the ADHD Rewired Podcast Network. Add to my calendar on the second Tuesday of every month at 12.30 p.m. Central Time, live ADHD Rewired Q&A. Your recurring appointment is scheduled starting on Tuesday from 12.30 p.m. to 1.30 p.m. The appointment is called Live ADHD Rewired Q&A. 
Remembering our live Q&As can be that easy. Pick up your phone, that was an iPhone that I just used, and tell it to add to your calendar that on the second Tuesday of every month at 10.30 a.m. Pacific, 1.30 p.m. Eastern, whatever time zone you are in, that ADHD Rewired's live Q&A is going on. This is a great way to be a part of the community. To register for our free Q&A, where we will answer your questions, help you with your challenges, and more, go to ADHDrewired.com slash events. That's ADHDrewired.com slash events. And we'll see you there. All right, we are back. And uh, so when we, right before break, we were talking about your first experience uh, being hospitalized and you were in bed for three days and this uh, this doctor came to you and kneeled at your side and said, you, you have to try and um, there was a spark of hope. After that first day, uh, you were staying in the hospital. Um, what what next? Oh, Eric, I I've been in so many types of uh, recovery situations. Um, ultimately, I was an inpatient ten times. I was a daily outpatient after that first. Um, visit to the hospital. I've been in continuing day treatment, group therapy, loads and loads of individual talk therapy. Um, Ultimately, I found a drama therapist that was willing to work with me. And that the thing that I got the most out of drama therapy was building up my assertiveness because when I was hospitalized the first time, what the the doctors and the social workers in the, in, uh, that were responsible for, for the people on my floor said was that I needed assertiveness training. They said I was just like a, you know, just a complete pushover. And, and you know how people say depression is anger turned inward. You know, I think I had a lot of anger. I didn't understand how to express anger. It wasn't really allowed where I mm. uh, grew up and in the household that I grew up. So Um, I think I had to learn how to speak up for myself. Now, of course, you could see, obviously, in college, I could advocate for myself when it had to do with my education. But when it had to do with me, like treating the way that I wanted to be treated as as a person, as a human being, that was a real challenge. Oh, I could fight for somebody else. But Mm -hmm. for myself, that was difficulty. And so that that to me really points to self-esteem. And so one thing I realized when I was in all of these types of treatment and when anyone is at rock bottom, um, when it comes to just feeling depressed and and having low self-esteem and and not engaging in self-care, what I would hear often in group therapy uh, was that, you know, to make yourself feel better, you can do A, you can do B, you can cook a healthy meal, you could go for a walk. But what I really realized is that if you don't believe that you're even worth the ground that you're taking that walk on, how can you consistently get out of bed every day and do the things that are going to make you feel better if you don't think you're valuable in the first place. I mean, I, I know as, as someone who's experienced uh, depression and gone through periods of high anxiety, um, all those things that we know are helpful for us. There is a voice that 
that is in our mind that at least for me that says, well, you don't deserve to do that. Mm-hmm. And it's really convincing. Mm-hmm. You know, uh, absolutely. It's like, it's like I call it the, the itty bitty shitty committee, right? It's, <laughs> <laughs> I'm clapping. Uh, <laughs> Because it is, it's, and those negative emotions can be so convincing. Absolutely convincing. And so here's the thing. Like I said, I'm thankful that I broke down at that age, you know, 23 to 25, struggled a lot. Um, I became homeless also as a result. And it's funny because when I was in grad school and I was a researcher, a full-time researcher for NYU, I was doing a research project on homelessness in New York City. And then a few years later, I become homeless in New York City. And my job was to interview women who had been homeless four years before for a longitudinal study and see how they were doing. And so many times, mental illness <laughs> was the cause. Yeah. And so there I was um, in my 20s, uh, and I became homeless because of severe depression. And what I was blessed to experience was the art therapies and creativity. And so what I did was after discharge and after continuing day treatment or you know daily outpatient um, stuff, I decided that I was going to use various art forms, just because I was interested in so many of them, as my main form of recovery practice, right? It's my main recovery practice. And what I would say to anyone who is feeling unfulfilled, depressed, and they're having trouble being consistent with their self-care is to get creative by any means necessary. Find something that brings you joy. So don't let a writer tell you you need to write or a a visual artist tell you that you need to draw or paint. You could be improving on an existing project. You could be making a chair. You You could be learning how to cook provincial French, you know, style. Whatever it is, if you try starting there, try starting with creativity first, because see, what I think happens is a couple of things. First of all, when you are creative, um, you are taking an idea from your mind and bringing it in, bringing it into the world through your own hands. And that is proof of your own value. It turns your life around because it shows you in no uncertain terms that you are worth something. Um, It's tangible proof of your absolute uniqueness because nobody is going to build a chair or write a poem or boil a soup exactly the way that you are. Um, And then the other thing I think is that if you choose to create things that you love, that you're passionate about, you're going to start to notice something about yourself. You're going to notice a fire that's brewing in you. And it's the kind of stuff that makes you want to roll out of bed in the morning, even if at first it's just one minute earlier than the day before. 
And where you may not have seen your worth before, now you can start seeing yourself as valuable um, because you've taken on this God role, this God-like role of maker. And the other thing I would say, and to connect it back to, to self-care, is because you have a fire lit under you, once you get that fire lit under you, all these other things start to fall into place. And taking a walk or taking a shower or fixing yourself a healthy meal, all of those things start to become important and mandatory even in order to keep this creator productive. So, so creativity doesn't just build your self-esteem in my estimation, it helps you to maintain it also. Hmm. What about for the person that, that might be listening thinks, so, well, I'm not, I'm just not a creative type. Now there's probably not many of those listening. Cause you know, there's, <laughs> there's a fairly high correlation between people with ADHD and being creative. Cause you know, we, we don't really follow a straight line, even if you wanted to. Um, so, but for the people that say, well, I don't really have a, an, a creative outlet. Well, you might not have a creative outlet, but I, I will argue that everyone is creative. We are improvising every single day. Eric, you and I are having a conversation and it's not scripted. And we get up and we go out and we interact with people without scripts and we improvise. Things happen and we just deal with it. We just handle it. Sometimes, you know, we have a great outcome and sometimes we don't. But we are creative every moment of the day. And so I would say try different things. Just try, just try writing and start small. Just if you, you think, Oh, I want to make a, I want to make a, some greeting cards. Well, start with one little doodle. Um, write in a journal. You might find that you're writing fiction. You might find that you're writing memoir type stuff. Uh, I think that everyone can create, does create, and especially if you can connect it to something that is painful for you, some experience that you've had, that some, some wrong that you feel like you want to correct, I think if in no place else, you might find your place there and say, I'm going to try in my own way and in my own style to correct this wrong. I don't really like to use the terms right and wrong, but in, in this case, I think you know what I mean. Um, I think you can find where your ingenuity will come to life. You know, I was just kind of thinking that um, in, in the terms of having these uh, traumatic experiences and things that have uh, had these significant uh, sort of negative impacts uh, on, on our lives. Um, you know, it, it, it understandably can result in sort of putting up walls and, and trying to be protective and um, creativity requires so much vulnerability. It requires you to take down the armor and, mm -hmm. you know, and I think when we, when we armor up, like we, we don't heal. And so yeah. it's, it's sort of a, 
a way to not just, you know, take off the armor, um, but to really allow ourselves to, to be connected with a, with an external experience that is coming from inside, um, to kind of allow us to reconnect to, um, that emotional, physical self. Um, and, uh, it is. It's, I mean, I know, I know there's been times where, um, there was, there was a good chunk in like my, my, uh, er, kind of mid twenties to early thirties, maybe mid to mid twenties to to mid thirties, where I would just say I was generally fairly happy. And, um, I was like, man, it's really hard to write music when you're feeling like you're in a good mood all the time, right? Like, cause I, you know, most of my music came from when I was like depressed as hell, right? Like when I was just like, the world sucks and I don't know the hell I'm doing. And like, what is my brain like doing to me? And like, I got a lot of creativity out of that. And it's like, when things are good, it's like, I got nothing to really write about. <laughs> That's really funny. Can I, can I say a four letter word here? Of or no? course. So there's this thing. Uh, that I've heard and I like to say, and that's fucked up people make great art. <laughs> and, you know, sometimes I kind of miss my depression, you know, because I'm like, wow, I was really prolific. <laughs> um, but I'm, but you know what? I'm prolific now in a different way. Yeah. Um, it just took a while to kind of flip it. <laughs> um, but uh, yeah, I've heard it and I've heard it from a friend in the past couple of weeks that, hey, you know what? I'm not depressed. I'm just not not writing what I'd like to write. So you can write from happiness. You can create from happiness. Um, it's it's just going to look different. <laughs> I, I was, you know, and it's me kind of thinking out loud here. I'm wondering if it really needs to be like writing from a sense of sort of pure joy versus just happiness because you know it's when you think about pure joy it's kind of that feeling of, of bliss of of sort of nirvana where happiness is it's like a, a notch above contentment and it's like you yes. know being content isn't really inspiring right yes <laughs> like it's, it's wonderful to be content i mean what a yes. wonderful place to be but like you know but it's not something that's really inspiring or moving it's like I'm I'm okay with the status quo, you know, and it's, I mean, it's, it's lovely when we're there, but, um, you know, I don't think a lot of inspiration comes from there. Maybe, maybe not. I see your point. I don't, I don't see much inspiration in myself when I'm content. Uh. Got to stir shit up to get creative, you know, exactly. to break something, fuck it up and be like, oh God, I wanted to do that. Great. Now I got some, something to write about. Yes. Yes. Y'all. That's what I say. So, you know, you work with a lot of creative people um, uh, in, in a capacity of work, as a coach, right? Yes. And uh, so how do you, when you're working with someone, and how I, I like on your, your uh, bio, you very, very specifically specify you help people finish their projects because, man, to be, you know, how many of us have you know, so many great projects that we started but never finished? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So how do you, how do you work with people on that and, and uh, how do you sort of help with the value of finishing? Well, I do a couple of different things. Well, I, um, can I plug something? Can I tell people where to go to get something? That's, that's where we're well, going here. All right. Well, <laughs> I, I, if you go on, okay. I help creatives with ADHD become successful entrepreneurs. And that could look different for different people. Some people do what they call a, 
quote-unquote side hustle. But finishing is very important. And once a person understands where they are, like, you know, that they have ADHD and they understand how it manifests within themselves, then I do something called momentum meetings. And it's a fast track to getting your creative projects completed. Um, And my meetings are a minimum of two hours long Mm. where you actually get your own work done in a structured and supportive environment. Um, And together we create solutions to increase productivity in and outside of those meetings. Um, And I also, if you, I also offer support services that are free. Um, And if you go to swellhead.com, you can get a 10 minute training and it's video and video and audio. Cause I know us ADHDers sometimes have problems reading a whole bunch of stuff, or at least it's boring. At least it is for me. So um, you can get this video on how you can, build your dream business or your dream side hustle in five rule bending steps. If you go to swellhead.com. Now the thing that you do, um, Eric is uh, you have a coaching and accountability program. Mm -hmm. And I think it's just great that you have all of these key components of productivity, um, success. And what I notice about people with ADHD is that also they need continuing support or yep. want continuing support. Sorry. One of my clients told me that she thinks she's going to need assistance for the rest of her life. And I said, okay. Um, yep. Because you know what? Some people need assistance cleaning their cleaning for the rest of their lives or gardening and for the rest so of their true. lives. And it's right? so interesting because it, in, in both uh, uh, the world of therapy and in coaching, there's yeah. this, this um, uh, belief that let's get your client in and get them out. Like the, the, the success is when you fight your client fires you. Right. It's like, and, and as living with ADHD, which is a lifelong condition, I don't agree. Mm-hmm. I don't, subscribe to that belief mm-hmm. um you know so it's it's why in my my uh um coaching groups we have a membership community so people can continue yes. that ongoing support and yes because it is it's like because and, and if you are a a growth-minded person you're going to learn new skills which is going to allow you to take new stuff on which means you're going to now have more struggles and you'll need to learn new skills and mm-hmm. you know rinse and repeat and be you're reminded running. of things yes. you know because we can forget about <laughs> stuff we and so the post group alumni membership that you have that community i think it is just so important i i'm so glad that you're doing it and I have clients that say they need assistance for the rest of their lives and I'm going to send them there Hmm. um, to ADHD rewired. What I do is really kind of somewhere in, in between the coaching groups that you have and the alumni membership community, somebody who, who's gone through a program like yours, such as yours, coaching and accountability and education about ADHD says, now I understand myself a lot more. And I have a project and I want to work with someone um, one-on-one, um, high touch, you know, lots yeah. of, lots of um, assistance, lots of accountability, you know, um, and 
I want to get this particular project done. Um, and I will help people implement things that they learn from someone like you um, on a faster track, on a one-on-one -on -one fast track where we're actually sitting together for at least two hours working. After that, I'm going to tell them, go, go to Eric or go back to Eric and join that mm -hmm. alumni membership community. Uh, because I really think that that's, that having that support is, is so imperative for ADHDers and many people who don't have ADHD, but you know, this is our tribe we're talking about and that we're talking to. And look, there is no shame in saying I need support and I want to be in a community that supports me and understands me. So I just want to thank you, Eric, so much for creating the alumni membership community because when i saw that i said yes he understands eric understands what we need he has his finger on the pulse of it and he's doing something about it so thank you mm, thank you too for doing what yeah. you're doing um so we will get the uh the link to uh, uh to your website posted on the show notes page which will be adhdrewired.com slash let's put whatever number this episode happens to be um i totally just have let, i've let go of the of the <laughs> like the, the shitty thought of i should know what it's going to be because this is what other podcasters do and i'm just like you know look at your podcast out there you're listening to check out what number the episode is and then just put that <laughs> slash and if you're listening on apple podcast you can actually just tap on it and you'll see the show notes there and the link will actually be right there so you can you know check it out that way as well so um awesome. if i can uh, before i let you go um mm -hmm. can i put you on the spot and ask you to sing something oh my goodness <laughs> are you really gonna do that i really I, I just did i mean you could say no and i can just delete this part or so it's not so awkward um or i can leave it in and and it could be awkward as well or you can sing something <laughs> my goodness what would i sing um <laughs> what'd you sing what'd you sing at the uh at the chat conference oh i sang tomorrow and um no 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 those things don't sound good without with a without accompaniment um Improvise something. Um, there's something that's coming to me. Okay. I might tell you to to <laughs> delete it, but <laughs> it's it's a it's a I, I practice Quakerism and it is like a Quaker theme song <laughs> called Simple Gifts. Okay. I'm just gonna sing a part of it. When true simplicity is gained to bow and to bend, we will not be ashamed to turn. Turn will be our delight until turning, turning, we come round, Roxanne Jarrett, thank you. Thank you so much. That was awesome. Thank you for letting me put you on the spot. Um, man, I think you're only on an ADHD podcast. Can we get away with that? So thank oh, yeah. you. Thank you. It was, it's been an absolute pleasure talking to you and connecting with you, Eric. You are awesome. Thank you so much for having me. Thanks so much.
Thank you for listening and congratulations for making it to the end. ADHD Rewired is more than just a podcast. We are a community focused on learning, growing, and connection. The website is ADHDrewired.com. You can find summaries and additional resources for each episode. You can apply to our free and secret Facebook community. You can learn more about ADHD Rewired's intensive online video-based coaching and accountability groups and sign up for my email newsletter to get exclusive content you won't get anywhere else. It's all at ADHDrewired.com. While you're there, click the Patreon button. If you're a regular listener and you're still listening to my voice, consider making a monthly contribution by becoming a patron through our Patreon page. If you are able to financially support my work, it would mean a lot. This show is free to listeners, but it is not free to produce. And patrons get really cool perks. You can follow me on Twitter at Eric Tibbers. You can like our Facebook page at facebook.com slash ADHD Rewired. If you're a coach, therapist, or related professional, connect with me on LinkedIn at linkedin.com slash Eric Tibbers. You can also subscribe to ADHD Rewired on YouTube and you can subscribe to ADHD Rewired on YouTube and see select interviews and some other videos I've posted. Podcasts change lives. 
You can make a difference in someone's life by spreading the word about this podcast. Mention it in your online communities on Facebook, Twitter, Reddit, or wherever you hang out online. And be sure to share it with your friends and your family and your clients, as well as your coaches, therapists, and doctors. And if you're a coach, therapist, doctor, or ADHD support group leader, and you would like a pack of podcast postcards to hand out, you can request those at my website, ADHDrewired.com. And if you're a member of Chad or any other ADHD support group, please be sure to tell them about this podcast. You can even show them how to download it on their phone. You know, you might be the person that turns somebody on to a podcast for the very first time. And if you really love this episode, please consider hitting share on your podcast player. I'm only one person and I count on you to help me spread the message. One of the biggest things that you can do to support this podcast and to help other people discover it is to leave an honest rating and review on Apple Podcasts, on Stitcher, or any other podcast app that accepts ratings and reviews. And don't forget to hit subscribe on this podcast on your podcast app so new episodes are automatically pushed to your favorite podcast app. Looking for more ways to listen and learn? Get a free audiobook and a 30-day free trial at audibletrial.com slash ADHD Rewired. Not sure where to start? In no particular order. Check out Atomic Habits by James Clear, The Body Keeps Score by Bessel von der Kolk, 10% Happier, and Meditation for Fidgety Skeptics. These are both by Dan Harris. Change Your Questions and Change Your Life by Marilee G. Adams. The One Thing by Gary Keller and Jay Papasan. Procrastinate on Purpose by Rory Vaden. The Four Tendencies by Gretchen Rubin. Do you have trouble asking for help? Listen to The Art of Asking by Amanda Palmer. It's one of the best produced audiobooks I've ever heard. If you're looking for something a little bit more, say, magical, I unexpectedly fell in love with the Harry Potter series. And I don't usually listen to those kinds of books. And I loved it. And of course, if you haven't yet boarded the Brene Brown bus yet, check out Brene Brown's books, starting with The Gifts of Imperfection, Daring Greatly, Rising Strong, The Power of Vulnerability. And if you're an entrepreneur or leader in any capacity, check out her 2018 book, Dare to Lead. And Brene still is my most wanted guest. So if you know Brene, you would be so kind to make that connection for me. I would be really, really grateful. You know who else I would like to have on the show? You. Click the podcast tab at ADHDrewired.com and then click the Be a Guest button at the top of that page and schedule a 15-minute pre-interview. This is Eric Tivers reminding you to keep learning, keep growing, and keep connecting. Self-care is not selfish, and no matter what gets done or doesn't get done, at the end of the day, you are still enough. And no matter how hard it feels, we can do hard things. Thanks for listening. I'll catch you next week.